0: More than 1 million people have died from COVID-19 worldwide. There's going to be a Lion King too. Another one, this time with Godfather vibes. And we're joined by journalist and media mogul in the making, Amara Jones, host of the Translash podcast.
1: The date, September 29th, 2020.
0: The time, News O'Clock. Hello, friends. I'm Hayes Brown.
1: And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock.
0: Okay, before we dive in, Casey, I have to get this off my chest. Uh, The New York City Board of Elections is apparently trash uh, because a bunch of people in Brooklyn who asked for absentee ballots got their ballots, but... Due to what they're calling a vendor error, they got the wrong privacy sleeve to return it in. So it has someone else's name on it. So if they send it back without checking, they're invalidating both their vote and someone else's.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about the tip of the iceberg, Hayes. (laughs) It's not even October yet.
0: (laughs) I'm glad that they figured this out now. But still, I'd prefer we didn't have to deal with this at all. Okay, time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. First up, the world hit a grim global milestone yesterday with at least 1 million people dead from COVID-19. It's been a long 10 months since the first reports out of China that a new mystery illness was making people sick. Since then, the world has been turned upside down by the novel coronavirus. It's been found in scores of countries and infected more than 33 million people. With 300,000 new cases daily, it's a figure that's inching closer to 1% of the world's population. That number is almost certainly too low, though, as countries, including the U.S., are still struggling with accurately tracking infections and have definitely undercounted the number of people killed. In the U.S., the official number is higher than anywhere else in the world, with 7 million confirmed cases and 200,500 COVID-19 deaths. And the numbers are looking ready to start climbing more quickly again. Florida's government recently announced that they were lifting all bans on indoor dining and bars, despite a 10% positivity rate. And even in places that had been doing well, things aren't poised to stay that way. Here in New York City, the positive test rate climbed over 3% for the first time in months, thanks in part to a surge of cases in South Brooklyn. Next up, the Trump administration is still trying to wrap up the census within the next week, despite a federal judge's order to keep the counting going. The Commerce Department, which runs the census, was planning on wrapping up field operations on September 30th, aka tomorrow. Last week, U.S. District Judge Lucy Koh ruled in favor of an injunction filed by civil rights groups and local governments suspending that deadline. That, in theory, caused the schedule to revert back to a previous deadline of October 31st for when the counting would stop. Much like a kid who's become adept at playing, I'm not touching you, the Commerce Department sent out a tweet yesterday announcing that Secretary Wilbur Ross had ordered a halt to data collection on October 5th. Technically, that's still later than the 30th. Judge Co. has asked for documents to support this new decision, and when told they don't really exist, she responded, quote, a one-sentence tweet, Are you saying that it is enough reason to establish decision-making, a one-sentence tweet? Activists are worried about how many people would be missed if door-to-door counting is halted earlier than absolutely necessary because, you know, a pandemic tends to slow things down. And given that this count will be used over the next 10 years to apportion seats in Congress, potentially missing out on large minority populations could be disastrous. And finally, the New York Times dropped their second major story looking into Trump's taxes, this time exploring how reality TV saved the president from going broke. Back in 2004, The Apprentice First aired on TV. From the back of a limo, Donald Trump introduced himself to America.
2: It wasn't always so easy. About 13 years ago, I was seriously in trouble. I was billions of dollars in debt. But I fought back and I won big league. I used my brain, I used my negotiating skills, and I worked it all out. Now my company's bigger than it ever was, it's stronger than it ever was, and I'm having more fun than I ever had.
0: But according to business and personal tax records reviewed by The Times, that was not really the case. Instead, it was the show that saved Trump from a wave of mounting debts, thanks to a deal that let him keep half of the show's profits. And with that burst of cash, including $47.8 million in 2005, Trump was not only kept afloat, but it let him go on a buying spree of golf courses and other properties. The records show that Trump was cashing in wherever he could, while he could. That included getting over $8 million to endorse ACN, a multi-level marketing company that would later be accused of scamming vulnerable people. And in the run-up to the 2008 financial crisis, which was, as a reminder, sparked by banks gambling on bad mortgages, Trump was making millions off of speaking engagements with names like Real Estate Wealth Expo, One Weekend Can Make You a Millionaire. Neither the millions of dollars he claimed to be losing each year or the money he'd gotten from his father were ever brought up weirdly enough Ace yes, ma'am
1: do you think I don't know I was just thinking about this. do you think Trump's ever been to therapy <laughs>
0: <gasps> wow uh absolutely not i I swear to you he has not been, but i, I why do you ask? I'm really curious. I,
1: it, you can ask for so many reasons, but I guess like the the one thing I was thinking about through all this is like he just like really talks about all of his strengths, about his like ratings and this money and stuff. And like you said, he he doesn't talk about all the money he's lost each year or that he was given things from his father. And that just made me think that he very much, based on everything we've seen, is a person who cannot admit his faults. <laughs> and that is something that one works on in therapy. <laughs>
0: (laughs) (laughs) yep uh this is a man who has never once wanted to be vulnerable in his life vulnerability in his family according to his niece's book sign of weakness got that like stripped out of him and uh yeah he spun like his bankruptcies like he he did talk about those things during that period but like he said in that one clip that we listened to just now from the apprentice he spun them as like uh bad luck could happen to anyone not i'm really bad at this
1: right right because <laughs> he is
0: He is really really bad at this and i'm sure it's going to come up in tonight's debate since uh, joe biden kamala harris just released their taxes for 2019 so compare and contrast it's going to be uh uh it's going to be a wild ride tonight
1: oh my anxiety <laughs>
0: okay casey how are things on the pop culture front today
1: well, oh, first, BTS continues to be the biggest musical act of the year. Last night, kicking off a week, a whole entire week of performances on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon.
2: Can't call me artist. Can't call me idol. Honey, what's on What a heck, don't idol. Yeah? I'm proud of it. My child. Oh.
1: That was their song, Idol, and like they did for their Tiny Desk concert, they performed from South Korea rather than hauling all seven of them to the U.S. And if that wasn't enough, they also performed their hit song, Dynamite, along with The Roots and Jimmy, because as we all know, Jimmy Fallon can't not be in things. This residency with The Tonight Show is the latest button in what's been a huge year for the band. Right now, BTS is only the third group in 50 years after the Beatles and the Monkees to have three number one albums on the Billboard 200 in less than 12 months. And all of this is making their record label, Big Hit Entertainment, ridiculous amounts of money big hit is going to be traded on the south korean stock market now and with the biggest ipo there since 2017 their producer is said to be raking it in
0: I, I love that the other two people on that list just now were also the boy bands of their times. Uh, like, yeah, yep. the Beatles evolved, et cetera, and they took a lot of drugs, but they started out as a boy band. The Monkees were a manufactured Beatles, manufactured boy band, much in the vein of NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys later.
1: You know what? And I'm glad we're having a boy band that's like taken over the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we had One Direction, but I wanna say that was the world, to be honest. BTS feels like the world
0: that was more of a niche one yeah. direction. I feel like that was a very specific age range versus this, which is like people of all age. at this point, it's like really fascinating to watch is like spread out as people feel like older and older, farther out from the target demographic mm. fall into the BTS, like yeah. gravity orbit.
1: Yeah. And I do feel like it's similar to what, like comparing them to the Beatles in that they, both groups are so infectious. Like, Like at first you might be like, what's up with everyone loving the Beatles? What's up with everyone loving BTS? And then you like get a taste of it and you're like, oh, I get it.
0: Right. And I don't have another album coming out soon.
1: Yes. Which honestly, I'm sure fans are so excited for. One good thing in 2020. Mm,
0: Lucky them.
1: (laughs) Okay. And moving on, um, I guess we're getting a sequel to the live action-ish adaptation of The Lion King. For some reason, it is happening. (laughs) Uh, Barry Jenkins is the Oscar-winning writer and director of movies like Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk, but Deadline reported this morning that he's been tapped to direct a new sequel to the photorealistic remake that Disney released last year. He'll be taking over for Jon Favreau, who directed the movie as well as the 2016 remake of The Jungle Book. Jenkins said in a statement that, quote, "...helping my sister raise two young boys during the 90s, I grew up with these characters." Having the opportunity to work with Disney on expanding this magnificent tale of friendship, love, and legacy, while furthering my work chronicling the lives and souls of folk within the African diaspora is a dream come true. This will not be a live-action remake of Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, just a heads up. Uh, Instead, Variety says that according to its sources, the movie will at least partly focus on the early years in the reign of Mufasa, Simba's dad, who, spoilers, dies in the first movie.
0: Ah, ruined. My experience watching The Lion King is now ruined.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and does all of the people on my team have been joking, uh, you know, is this going to be uh, Lion King one and a half?
0: Ooh. What was Lion King one and a half I, plot? I don't even I remember no what clue. that, plot that have, one was. I have no <laughs> clue
1: what it was. Okay, but in all seriousness, I do love Barry Jenkins. And so, you know, I, I do like thinking about getting into... I'm sure into, it'll be good. It will, it will be good. I'd love to know, you know, more of the backstory of Hamlet.
0: <laughs> right? Like... So I if Mufasa is what we're going to focus on now in this sequel a little bit at least mm-hmm. I'm getting Godfather part 2 vibes <laughs> like yes. Mufasa in this instance is Robert De Niro I
1: guess mm-hmm. <laughs> If Mufasa is now not voiced by Robert De Niro.
0: (laughs) (gasps) Oh my God. No, but, but, oh wait, who could be, who could be a young James Earl Jones though? Like who could do, who could pull that off?
1: I know because we're also going to be expecting like such like that, like, deep magnificent voice that and resonance like, yeah that resonance so i mean but if he's younger yeah i don't know that is something to think about that is something to think about
0: i mean i guess we could tap like david keith or something but even mm-hmm. that's like feels not quite it i don't know i'm i'm going to be watching this delightedly uh also watching to see is beyonce coming back though
1: Oh, she must she must She will, I have a feeling.
0: (laughs) She will not say no to the bag. (laughs) 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 All right. When we come back, we've got Amara Jones talking with us about her new podcast. Stay right there.
3: At Chief It, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com 2022. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris to recap our hit television series New Girl.
2: Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American and... Discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars and directors who made the show so special.
1: Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years. And we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this.
2: At the end, when he says, you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke.
3: I believe that. Whoa. I feel like I did.
2: I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was, I, I, I tossed that one out.
3: Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Cavalry Audio comes the new true crime podcast, The Shadow Girls. I always wanted to know what it
1: felt like to kill somebody prosecutors described him as a serial killer savant, picking up these girls, getting them in a position of vulnerability. When he got a hold of their neck, that was it.
3: I'm Carolyn Osorio, a journalist and lifelong resident of the Pacific Northwest. I grew up near the banks of the Green River and in the shadow of the killer, that bears its name.
2: How many times did you bring
3: the camera to One the river? time. Just one time? One time. He started fantasizing about having sex with
1: his mother. Then he fantasized about killing her.
3: But this podcast isn't only about tracking down the killer. It's about the victims.
2: We stayed in the woods. He always liked to go in the woods. It was just, to all of us, kind of strange you know how he feels about prostitutes?
3: Listen to The Shadow Girls on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome back. Trans rights spent years on the back burner of the civil rights struggle, despite trans people being involved in every step of the fight for LGBTQ equality. That's changed over the last decade, but it hasn't been smooth sailing. Way too often, it's been cis journalists talking about trans people instead of actually talking to them. And don't even get us started on how few trans journalists are getting bylines even today.
0: Enter Amara Jones. She's the founder of TransLash Media, the host of the TransLash podcast, and we are so glad to have her with us here today. Good afternoon, Amara. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. So, you started Translash in 2018 as a series of video shorts about being trans, and now it's grown into this whole multimedia endeavor. Uh, Was there a moment where you went, oh,
2: uh, this is getting big, huh? (laughs) Yeah, um, I think after the first one, I was really surprised. The first video short that I did, I was always skeptical that this was something that people were going to be receptive to. And I was pushed to do it by my friends, um, across journalism as we wrapped up another video project. And I think it was after the first one where I realized that. And I think, um, as we continue throughout these past couple of years, particularly during the Trump administration, to be targeted, um, and to experience lots of violence the necessity of it became even clearer to me and so um it's so interesting that the journey has kind of been the lesson
1: you've described the Translash podcast as telling trans stories to save trans lives what do you think you're adding to the mix now that was missing before
2: I think that we're talked about all the time, and we are in the news all the time, and we are speaking about culture. And we're represented in culture all the time, but very rarely are we actually asked what we think about um, what's happening in the world and how we're being portrayed. And so that's what's different about our podcast. I think because it is a news centered podcast. I mean, we literally have a segment called the news, um, and then another another one that focuses on culture. These are the two aspects that we want to. Make sure that our voice and our thoughts are being included in and i think that that's what's different about what we're doing so i'm curious
0: and I, i i'm coming at this as a cis male. Uh, Do you see this show as being more of a safe space for trans people to hear things they can relate to or a bridge for cis people to better
2: understand what the trans experience is actually like? I think it's both. I think that it is very much for trans people as a way to have um, a conversation and to step back and to weigh in because of the type of guests that we have. But it's also the fact that it's very much designed for people who want to know more about us, to hear what we have to say, and to even in some cases follow our lead. And so that's why we normally um, have a mixture of trans and non-trans guests on every episode because we want to be sure to signal that it is for uh, everyone as well as the trans community. And that's really important because we are a tiny part of the culture in terms of I'm sorry, we are a tiny part of um, the population when you look at us as a percentage. And so a part of us being able to secure our rights and to have equal humanity is getting other people as well on our side to advocate and to expand. So I think that that's very much a goal of the podcast.
1: Your first episode went up on August 20th. So it's been about a month on air. What has been your favorite part of working on the show so far?
2: I love interviewing. And the thing that you all will know from this is that this is such an intimate medium, right? Because we normally get people in places where they're extremely comfortable. You know, it's not a lot for them to hop on the phone with us or get on a microphone in their, you know... Whatever they're wearing at the time, wherever they happen to be. And so we're the same and doing the same. Like right now I'm talking to you in my closet. And so it's a very, where we record and it's a very intimate space. And I think I find that people open up in really unique ways that that doesn't happen when I'm looking at them on a camera or if I'm interviewing them, uh, for the written, for any written words. And I think that that's been a great part. I mean, I actually love interviewing and I love the whole process of, um, of editing and just making sure that we have these in such the right way that people can digest what's going on. I didn't know how much went into a podcast until before. And so whenever I hear people say, oh, well you should, this person should just do a podcast. It's so easy. And I, I just want to i don't know um (laughs) hand them a (laughs) bottle of ibuprofen and say you'll need these we are right there with you
1: (laughs) so are there any upcoming episodes that you're particularly excited about
2: so many um so the one this this i don't know when when this particular podcast will air but um we are having one um, where I just interviewed Ian Alexander, who will be the first trans character in the history of the Star Trek um franchise. Oh, that's uh, right. He's playing a, tr- they're playing a trill, right? That's exactly right. And um, and so I'm su- super excited about that because I'm actually a lifelong Trekkie. Like, i watching reruns when I was a kid from the original series and then all the way through. And so I'm ex- I was super nerding out on that. You will be able to hear that in all its, you know, glory. And um, also we'll be talking to Jamila King, who's at Mother Jones unpacking the first debate. So I'm presidential debates. So I'm excited about that. And then we have others such as um, uh, unpacking the mind of of evangelicals and why they are so um, intent on targeting trans people. So a lot of really good ones coming up.
0: Okay, I have a question for you that is extremely niche for me. Um, So the UN General Assembly opened last week. Last year, you hosted the first UN high-level meeting on gender diversity. Um,
2: Have you seen any progress from the UN on trans rights issues in that time since? Yeah, I think, um, well, two things. I think one, um, I know that um, the UN, well, LGB, UN Women, which is a massive organization at the United Nations, which focuses on um, gender equality around the world, has actually hired um, a full-time person to focus on LGBTQ rights for the first time in its 60-year history. Um, that happened coming out of our meeting and was a consequence of that, which I think is really exciting. I also think that there has been continued movements at the UN to in- include gender diversity, but one of the impediments, sadly, is actually the United States... So the United States is actually blocking a lot of the progress. There's so many countries there, from Argentina to ones in Africa, uh, to not to speak of usual suspects in Europe, who want to move forward on these, including trans rights. But the United States is forcing the United Nations to erase any language that's um, connected to anything that's trans um, and anything like that. So our country is the impediment. And if we weren't, there'd be so much more progress.
1: In an article for Time recently, you said, quote, There cannot be Black Lives Matter without the centering of Black trans women. Do you think the movement focuses too much on Black cis males?
2: On BLM, yeah, of course. I think that that's definitely the case. I think there's too much. I think it's shifted recently in the case of Breonna Taylor, but I think they, you know, one of the things that was a critique In June is just, for instance, the way in which there was this massive reaction for uh, George Floyd, but not the same equivalent for Breonna Taylor um, and for other black women who suffer similar fates. And absolutely for black trans women, there's not nearly enough centering in Black Lives Matter and in racial justice on the lives of black trans women. That's absolutely the case.
1: I'm curious, are there good resources out there right now for researching how Black trans women's interactions with the police tend to go? I
2: think the best probably place would be um, the Anti-Violence Project. I believe they put out a report A year or two ago on um, policing and the way it intersects with communities of color that are queer and then also trans. So I think that that's actually a good resource. Um, But I think that we know that, for example, you know, a black trans woman was shot by the police 14 times last week, who called out again on a mental illness disturbance. We've heard that so many times. Um, And the the way in which the police uh, dehumanize trans women, both in terms of targeting trans women for unique searches through what we call walking uh, while trans laws, which uh, exist across the United States, to the way that trans women are treated in detention, to the way that trans women are treated in prison. The entire process is meant to um, dehumanize and it does that. And I think um, it is one of the things that that has to change and highlights everything that goes wrong. And one of the cases that highlights that, of course, is that of Lailene Polanco from last year.
0: Okay, one last thing. Uh, You said in a recent interview with Vice, quote, The bottom line is that the expanding consciousness of our humanity is why we have every reason to hope that the best days for Black trans women are ahead of us. So so what is it that's got you feeling hopeful these days?
2: We're having this conversation. (laughs) Like, literally, the fact that BuzzFeed was like, hey, knock on the door, let's have this conversation. Um That makes me hopeful because conversation is the beginning of change and the fact that there is a growing, as I say, a growing consciousness about us across the board. Of course, there is enormous amount of progress to go. We have a long way to go because there's so much distance between black trans women and the rest of society that we have to close. But we can't close that unless we're talking about the issues that uh, are preventing us from closing that gap and from and from reaching um, equity and equality and the fact that we're beginning to have those conversations right now across the board in so many different ways i think is the reason why i'm super hopeful ah
0: that is great to hear and so amara thank you so much for joining us today we really appreciate
2: you taking the time thank you so much happy to do it anytime
1: Okay, it's time for Meanwhile on the Internet, and today we must say goodbye to a legend, one that haunted our Facebook pages during the years when we were all actually still using Facebook.
0: Oh man, are they finally getting rid of the poke feature?
1: <laughs> no, it's for some reason they will literally never get rid of pokes. Oh, thank okay? God. That's gonna be around for forever. <laughs> okay, anyway, I'm talking about the original social media game experience. Farmville. Ah. It, it was launched by game company Zynga back in 2009, and it was a massive hit. But soon it had taken over most people's notifications as their friends, their moms, their mom's friends. My Aunt Lynn and that one guy you had a single class with but never spoke to asked for help managing their fake farm. But now Farmville is going to be calling it quits at the end of the year.
0: Oh, so why is Farmville getting plowed under? It's Mark Zuckerberg calling in the virtual mortgage it- a Facebook dust bowl, maybe? Years of failed crops and competition from overseas, combined with pressure from mega corporations masquerading as family farms, being too much for even the government's massive subsidies to farming to overcome.
1: <laughs> okay, that got dark, but no, it is simply because the game uses Flash to run, and Facebook won't support it anymore after December thirty first.
0: Okay, okay, that makes much more sense. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, did, did. You actually rec- play I, Farmville?
1: <laughs> I did not. I never played Farmville. I kept. I got so many requests. I mean, I'm I'm not against like playing games like that at all. I you know I play Ticket to Ride on my phone 24 seven. You know I love a good game, but no, I didn't play. I, I didn't play this, and I just got so many notifications from family members who like you know never texted me, but sure asked me for help with their farm. <laughs>
0: Right. It was always like the people who you had on your Facebook, but you weren't actually ever going to talk to again in real <laughs> life, especially like, like, yeah, like that one person who you had like maybe three classes with and you like had lunch with and you, yeah, I'll me you on Facebook and no, I will not help you farm carrots. I, that's not <laughs> what I want to do today.
2: Okay,
1: wait, Hayes. Yes. The game aside. Yes. If you actually had a farm, mm-hmm. what would you produce?
0: That's a really tough question. Um, I know I ask hard-hitting questions. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, I, I, I want to say something like super basic, like just corn, sweet potatoes. But this is actually really hard. It turns out apparently, like I, oh yeah, like a we have too much corn in this country. B sweet potatoes are actually really hard to harvest. I just learned via Twitter the other night. Um, so I don't know what my farm would produce what's a good cash crop that also won't kill us all
1: (laughs) okay see you are thinking really hard into this and meanwhile i was just gonna be like i like carrots.
0: (laughs) (laughs) also fair answer though yeah grow carrots on your farm casey (laughs) (laughs) me okay if i want to maximize my yield what do i want to produce no um i don't know then yeah i guess like spinach and corn on my fake farm that doesn't exist i would not want livestock on my farm see
1: i was just about to say that i I would have chickens my my parents her next door neighbor in in literally just la you know not on a farm (laughs) la she has two chickens named lucy and ethel i love them dearly and I love the eggs that they produce.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally fair. And I in on our fictional farms, all free range, all organic F pesticides. If our crops fail because of bugs, at least the bugs ate, I guess, is my stance on this.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're not making any money from running a farm.
0: <laughs> no, zero dollars. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow when we talk with the Daily Beast, Kevin Fallon, about why the Hulu show Pen15 is perfectly calibrated to hit us right in our
0: millennial feels. And remember, if you choose to drink during tonight's presidential debates, please do so responsibly. Like if you're taking a shot every time Biden says folks or every time Trump lies, you might die. And we can't have that on our (laughs) conscience.
1: Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And
0: please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock Original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson in theaters and streaming only on Peacock Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Thursday, February 10th, kick off Super Bowl 56 weekend with host Keegan-Michael Key. Find out who will be named the AP Most Valuable Player, delivered by Pizza Hut, the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, presented by Nationwide, and more. Plus, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Class of 2022, delivered with Uber Eats, will be revealed. NFL Honors, presented by Invisalign, Thursday, February 10th at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, on ABC, NFL Network, and ESPN+. Plus. All times live except in the Pacific Time Zone.
1: The NFL Podcast Network is your home for all things football. Do you love hearing analysis around the league with a touch of mirth? Or maybe you enjoy breaking
0: down X's and O's in the college scouting scene. Do you breathe, sleep, and eat fantasy football?
1: Perhaps you love the funny headlines that emerge each week.
0: What if you want in-depth news coverage with reporters?
1: Or what if you want to know
3: exactly how each team got its name?
0: Well, you're in luck because the NFL Podcast Network has a show for everybody. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.